how in the world do you, how do you talk after you've eaten, you know, everybody's had lots of good food, everybody's ready for a nap, right? Let's just, yeah, let's just, let's just call it out and be honest about it, all right? Some of y'all are going to drift off in 15 minutes, I know that, I'll just, I'm just ready for it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I've got it in me right now to be really super animated. So, I don't know. We may all fall asleep together before it's over with. Hey, uh, Matt, would you have uh, Matthew 5 ready to read some verses for me? Uh, I really enjoyed the day. I think this has been a really, really great success for this church. And uh, providing a great service to this community. Uh, just learning a little bit about, you know, kind of the... the uh, I don't know the vibe of the churches around here. you got so much good church cooperation that's going on in this area. That's so encouraging, man. I love to hear about that. I love to hear about uh, how you got so many good churches around here, and they're all churches that get along and uh, have common goals and work towards uh, some, some common things. So that's, that's really good. And i got to say I've been so, so encouraged uh, to hear so many people talk about how they love Matt. And uh, that, that does my heart good. I didn't tell him that. I was going to just do it right now publicly and embarrass him a little bit. But, yeah, I know I had five or six people, you know, just come up to me in between uh, after I got done speaking earlier and just talk about how much they love you, Matt. Uh, keep that up. Take care of his family. Love his family. Uh, that, that, that's going to that's gonna be great for the church health. Uh, a healthy church minister uh, exudes an attitude that bleeds out into everybody else in the congregation. You take care of him, he'll take care of you. And uh, I know he's doing a great work here. I'm really, really happy to hear about it. All right, so we're going to spend some time, if I can keep you, keep you with me, uh, just for a few minutes in Colossians chapter 4. So I'll ask you to be ready in that particular text. Where's the clicker? Here it is. Colossians 4, that'll be our, our jumping point. Uh, we've done a lot of challenging today. There's a lot of challenging that's been going on. Uh, Malvin has given us two outstanding uh, keynotes where he's been challenging the way that we think about our faith, challenging us to a deeper discipleship, uh, more authentic in our following, uh, radical obedience. All of those are the, kind of the same themes. And to really take seriously, very, very seriously, uh, the challenge of Jesus to be like him. That does not just mean be like him in the way you dress, in the way you talk, or the way you, you know, kind of conduct yourself out in the community. It also means be like him in how you interact spiritually with the people you meet. That's vital. That's vital to the health of the church and the future of the church. That's got to keep on going. So when Jesus came into the world, just like Moses before, remember Moses ascended Mount Sinai, and received the law of God, right? Jesus now, as the new Moses, ascends a new mountain. And rather than receiving the law from God, now he is giving a new law from himself. So the words that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, they are the, the Magna Carta, as it were. They are uh, just his absolutes that he believes church life should be. Do we take them seriously? Okay, so here's part of it. Matt's going to read us some, some verses. Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 13 through 16. I'll let him read, read those for us. So that's what we're supposed to be <laughs> to our community, to you here living uh, in this community, Portland. You are to be salt and you are to be light. That's who you are. Every single day, everything that you're doing, uh, you're to be the salt that adds flavor to the community, that shows the attractiveness and the tastefulness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's who you are. You're the light illuminating the pathway to Jesus. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world, and a city set on a hill, what? Cannot be hidden. And yet the church's impact in our communities is not what it should be. So I want to think about that a little bit. James, James talks about uh, a living and active faith. He says, faith without what? Words is what? Dead. <laughs> That's the bottom line, okay? And it, by works, he does not just mean showing up for worship on Sunday. That's part of it. But if you check that box and think that's all you've had to do, that is incorrect. In fact, the Bible uh, is chock full with um, teaching on how we're to live out our lives as disciples of Jesus. In fact, 90% of what Jesus ever talked about was the impact that you were to have in your everyday life as a follower of His. So that's very important for us to take that very seriously. Now, what we want to do, I think, as followers of Jesus is to develop some daily habits that will help to make an impact in our lives, uh, maybe starting in our homes and then kind of rippling out into the relationships around us. And I want to talk about those here in just a moment. As I mentioned before, uh, I think a lot of us have been a little afraid to talk to people in our lives about Jesus because we think somehow we've got to memorize a prefabricated system that helps us know how to talk to people about the gospel. And trust me, there's a lot of good that's out there that you can memorize, that you can learn, a lot of good Bible study methods, but that's not for everybody. Not everybody can memorize those things. And on the flip side of the coin, a lot of people aren't satisfied with just merely inviting people to church. There has to be more to it than that, right? Inviting people to church is very vital, but it can't be the whole story of what it means to, to follow Jesus. So the question becomes, how can we be effective in reaching out for Jesus and not be something we, we're not good at, Okay, but at the same time, being more than the ineffective practices that maybe we've run into from time to time. So let's think a little bit about that. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing, and there are two distinct groups that he brings up. Beginning in verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now what I want you to do in this text is I want you to watch very carefully the you and us 
language. Notice he's highlighting two groups. Verse 13, at the same time, and there's an understood you here, you pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, verse 4, that I may make, a, uh, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is saying, I am an evangelist, and my gift is clarity in gospel presentation. Verse 5, walk in wisdom, you, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer Every person. So look up on the screen. Uh, also on your handout, there is a chart there. And Paul is highlighting two distinct groups. And one group we could call the really, really, really skilled evangelists. I think over the years when we've talked about evangelism, we've tried to drum up the idea that everybody needs to become a super skilled evangelist. And I think what we see in this text is Paul is saying, no, there are some of us who are really good at that. Paul is saying, ah, that's my job, that's my ministry, is to be a, a skilled communicator of the gospel. But then there are other people who maybe their gift isn't communication, and they ought to be practicing some things that are evangelistic. So we could call the second group evangelistic Christians. Uh, so, what do skilled evangelists do according to Paul in this text? Well, they're to have clarity in the gospel. That's their priority. What's their ministry to look like? Bold proclamation, to use Paul's, you know, Paul's way of talking about it. Is everybody seeing what I'm, what I'm talking about? And then notice on the right-hand column, everybody else. Everybody else is to be an evangelistic Christian. How does that look, Paul? Well, you're always looking for opportunities. And as you do so, you're being prayerful, watchful, you're wise in how you interact with people, and you're always gracious, and you're ready to give answers when people ask questions about your faith. Now that's the job of every single Christian. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle says in verse 15, Sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ will be ashamed. So he's saying you live in such a way that people cannot bring any reproach against you. But verse 15, you always be ready to give a defense for the gospel. Okay, you be ready to give answers. When people ask questions, sometimes they're going to ask questions you don't know answers to. You know what you say? You know, that's a good question. Let me think about that and get back to you. That's not hard, is it? But you keep the lines of communication open. You're not in a contest that's a right-fighting contest. You're in a Jesus-illuminating effort. And so that's the way we're to behave. Okay, so think about it just for a minute. In Paul's day, this two-fold approach conquered the most powerful empire and most urban empire of the day. Rome was conquered by skilled evangelists and everyday Christians who lived out their lives in an evangelistic way. Think about that. Now, in the 300s, the Roman emperor was a guy by the name of Julian. And I want to tell you a little something about something that Julian wrote uh, in, in, uh, in his edicts. In one passage, he writes, We must find a cure 
for the sickness of Christianity. He actually called Christians, get this, he called them Galatians. Okay, uh, I think that, no, Galileans, sorry. sorry. He called them Galileans after Jesus. Now watch, watch what he says. He, we've got to find a cure for the sickness of Christianity. Christianity is overwhelming Rome. And he goes on and he says, the, the Galileans also begin with their so-called love feasts and hospitality. And the result is that they have led very many into Christianity. What is, what is Julian saying? Julian is saying, Christians, by being so loving and hospitable, have drawn people into the Christian faith. We very often overlook the very powerful texts in Scripture that speak of Christian hospitality. More on that in a moment. But he came up with a plan. He decided he had a plan, and the plan went something like this. He wanted his pagan priests to outlove the Christians so that they, you know, so that the Christians would no longer have a foothold. Now, what's the problem with this plan of Julian? The problem was the pagan gods cared nothing about human beings. Their gods did not care about the people of Rome. They were capricious, oftentimes highly selfish, evil even. And he's trying to get these priests of these so-called gods to behave and outlove Christians. And it, it failed miserably. It was a miserable effort. And with a, within a hundred years after the time of Julian, Christianity had so swept the nation of Rome that uh, Constantine ended up making it uh, the major religion of Rome, which led to a whole other series of problems. But uh, anyway, the gospel prevailed. I think that the heart of, of what we hear here is Titus 2.10, that we as Christians are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So let's, let's think about it this way. Your life is to be lived in such a way that when people see you, they begin to ask questions. I was talking to one of your folks here earlier. He heard a lesson one time by a guy, and the lesson was titled something like, Live a Questionable Life. And the idea was not questionable in a negative sense. The idea was that you're living it so radically different from the world around you that people start asking you questions about why you're living that way. And I think that's what we're to reflect as well. James 2.18, Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. So, I'm a teacher at heart, and we're done trying to make everybody feel bad and change your ideas about stuff. So, what I want to do right now is to give, put in your hands uh, maybe some really simple things you could try to uh, implement this week. Uh, and on the back side of this second handout, you'll see the word share. Do you see that? Like if you run your eyes down the left-hand side of the page, you'll see S-H. A-R-E. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time is go through each of these letters and allow them to be suggestions that we can implement uh, to maybe make a difference in people's lives as you encounter them this week. All right, so write this down at S. The first one uh, of these habits is share a meal. Share a meal. And what we mean by this is find at least three people this week to sit down with, have a meal with them, 
and encourage them in the gospel. And the best thing that could happen, maybe you find two people from this church, okay, if this is your own congregation, find two people from this church and have a meal with them this week. Find one person who's unchurched and have a meal with them, okay? So this, is, this sounds way too simple. It almost sounds dumb. <laughs> but the reality is, this is actually the instruction of Scripture, and there's a big theme about it throughout Scripture about both hospitality and fellowship sharing food. Julian complained. He complained to the officials that one of the Christian methods for, quote, perverting the empire was what he called their love feasts and hospitality. So Julian himself admits that one of the ways Christians overwhelmed the Roman Empire was by eating out with people. That's astonishing. Think about that. So here's Hebrews 13.2. Do not neglect to show what? Hospitality to strangers. 1 Peter 4.9. Show hospitality to one another. How? Without grumbling. Isaiah 58. Verse 7, isn't the will of God to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So that's the Old Testament summation of the gospel. So here's the idea. You're going to eat 21 meals this, this week. Some of us a little more, probably, right? Amen. That's that, that's that 1030 snack calling. That's what that is. That might be fourth meal time. I don't know. But let's just say you eat 21 meals this week. Just take three and plan to use those three as opportunities to encourage somebody, to talk to them, to interact with people. I just talked to an elder uh, at the home church where I grew up in, where I attended when I was in high school. And they've been implementing some of these things. And he said, as an elder, since I started inviting just individual people out with me to lunch... I have learned more in an hour sitting down with those folks than I have known the whole 10 years I've known them in, in our congregations. Because there's something about sitting around a table with people where openness becomes the language of the table. And people begin to talk about their issues and talk about their problems and struggles. And you have an opportunity to then try to help them. And that leads to the H, which is help a need. So write that down. If you share a meal with somebody, they're going to open up to you. And that in turn is going to give you ministry opportunities. A way for you to try to help people when you see a need. Some way for you to help a need. Now this is also a strain of scripture we see all throughout. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Proverbs 31, we've read about the Proverbs 31 woman for years. What does it say about her? She opens her hands to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. And then in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us what? Do good to everyone. And then, especially to those of the household of faith. So, uh, very biblical this idea. So do you see... Time out for just a minute. I know, you know, the, the hamburger's hitting home, right? Brother told me to clap my hands just a minute ago, so I'm doing it. Some of y'all are like, whoa, what's going on? All right, now notice how they're connected. Share a meal, opening the door for you to see how to help a need. See how that works and it's connected together. Now, when you help needs, there are basically two main strains of doing that that we normally come across. One is 
just the basic act of kindness. Where you know if somebody, they've got a problem going on in their life, maybe, I don't know, uh, maybe their AC went out. And you know how to handle, you know, air conditioning units. You just go out and you just offer to see if you can help them. Just something like that. The other way is through gift giving. Just a random gift that you give to somebody in order to encourage them. Now this is outside of those needs that you find out when you sit down with somebody uh, around a table. But very often what you find as you go around giving gifts to people is it launches that relationship into a depth that it did not previously have. People become thankful for your generosity and for the kind of compassionate heart that you're demonstrating. And in fact, in one place that I looked, people who sought to bless others through gifts were 50 times more effective in converting people. Just think about that. Have we overturned the world? No. This is simple stuff. Now, A is important, and in fact, none of the others can be done well without A, and it is the assembly. Assembling to worship. Assemble to learn. Uh, assemble to praise. When you gather on a Sunday, you are gathering as the people of God, and you are ingesting the Word of God, and you're allowing that Word to change you and to transform you and to become more and more compassionate, more and more merciful, more and more like your God. And as a result of that, you're learning things, right? Uh, in the well-known text, Hebrews chapter 10, where he says, uh, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. But what's the positive side of that? Encourage one another. So we gather to be fed. We gather to encourage each other in these good works. We study to show ourselves approved workmen that do not need to be ashamed. long time ago when I was... Uh, not even preaching. There was a big movement. Y'all remember this movement? Everybody had these bracelets on, right? And the movement was, what would Jesus do? And you know, that movement, it, it got so saturated, people got tired of it, really, right? I think it, it kind of died out over time. But is there ever a time to stop asking a question like that? What would Jesus do? You know, what would Jesus do in your shoes? What would he do in his everyday life? I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. Now watch this and understand what he means. To make them little Christs. And what he means by that is little representatives of Christ. To make them into that. And if they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, mission, sermons, even the Bible itself is simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. So what's he saying? He's saying... The purpose of the church is to turn people into being more Christ-like. And if that's not happening, nothing else matters. We're just going through the motions. If we're not becoming more Christ-like and doing the things... You know, Christ-likeness is to do the things Christ did and to be who He was. And if that's not happening, the church is failing. So we've got to become deeply familiar with the story of Jesus, what Jesus did, how He behaved, the practices that He engaged in, Prayer-wise, interacting with people, all of that. All right. Okay, so on your, on your outline, share a meal, help a need. Assemble to learn or assemble to worship, either one works. Here's R, relate spiritually. Relate spiritually to others. Now, think of how this, this progression still works. As you are sharing a meal, it all revolves around that time you spend with somebody. And let's just say they bring up a problem they've got going, you know... Me and my wife are really, really struggling right now. 
And in some way, you've done this in your normal, normal ways of life. You'll talk to them, well, we've been, you know, me and my wife went through a rough patch for a while. But our faith helped us through it. See how that little simple statement like that opens the door to relate spiritually to whatever issue they're struggling with, right? So relate spiritually to others as you're having these conversations with people. Proverbs 20 and verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And for us, ask your friends about their faith. How's your faith? Are you going to church? You know? Do you know the Lord? Listen to your friends' problems. Pray for them. Share your problems with others and talk about how your faith has helped you out. Maybe something just as simple as giving them a good book to read can be, can be very helpful. So the idea is you're not just sitting down to have a meal with them. You're really sitting down and having a meal with them, learning about their struggles, helping needs as they come forward, and then relating spiritually to the, the struggles, the things that they're going through. And that leads us to E, which is to evangelize in simple ways. And what I mean by this is, listen to me, I do not mean by evangelize, teach them the plan of salvation. I hope that comes, but that's not what I mean by evangelize. What I mean by that is bring them back full circle to Jesus. Evangelion, which is the word for gospel, is a word that relates to the life of Jesus. And in whatever we're talking about with people, I want to make sure that I eventually bring them back to the person of Jesus, that hero of the story. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, As we speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So one of the best things you can do is you're sharing a meal with somebody and trying to help them out in a need and relating spiritually to them is to then talk to them about, you know, when I became a Christian, it was an unreal event. It changed my life forever. And I know what that means for my life and how I talk about uh, everything. Uh, you know, relate it back to the person of Jesus. And then you can do... See, once you've done all this, I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. Once you've done all this, then you can invite them to church and they're going to be way more likely to say yes. Sometimes we'll have uh, church events and we'll invite people. We'll tell people, go out and invite people, bring them to this big event at Highland, okay? And inevitably, every time I do that, there'll be, I know this one guy, one older gentleman, he'll come up to me and he'll say, on Wednesday night, he'll say, I invited, I know, eight people, but I don't think any of them are coming. I, I invited this person. I know I invited that, or it'll be after the event. He'll say, nobody came. I invite. Listen, if it's people you don't know, people you're just kind of randomly inviting, only one out of ten of them will say yes. Did you hear what I just said? If, you're, if you have like invite cards and all you do is just hand them out to strangers and you don't know them, only one in ten of them will respond positively to that. And the one will only come if you physically offer to go pick them up, bring them to the event, and feed them afterwards. That's the only way that, that works. So what we're talking about really is saying building relationships ahead of time. You share meals, help needs. You relate in the conversation spiritually to them. And then when it's time to bring it all back around to Jesus, and once you've done all of that, then you invite them. Guess what? 
Now they're going to say yes. And now it has a great chance to stick. Now they're open to coming here and making friends in the gospel and building more relationships, branching out from there. Uh, one of the favorite things I like to do, we got a channel at home called, I don't know, it's Access TV or something like that. I don't even know. I don't know what else is on that channel, but I do know they have one 30-minute show, and all it is is movie previews. And we like to record that every once in a while because we like to watch the movie. I like to see what's coming out, you know, what movies are coming out. Uh, I love superhero movies. My daughters do too. I like, uh, I like scary movies, man. I like sci-fi movies. I like most all of them except for romantic comedies. But I do my time, you know, because she comes to all of my movies. It's all right. It's a trade-off. But you know what? In some way, all of us are to be the preview to the movie. Every one of us, in some way, is to be the preview to the main attraction. And the main attraction is that euangelion, that E. You evangelize people in simple ways. That is, just bring them back around to the person of Jesus. And in some way engage that in the conversation. So, think about it for a moment. S and H have to come before R. People, when you come tomorrow morning, and you walk by Matt, hey, how you doing? How you doing, right? And y'all pass. And you go find your seat. And then Matt gets up and he's going to preach. And most of the relationships tomorrow, that's the way it's going to work, right? You're going to show up tomorrow morning. You're going to say, how you doing? Good to see you. Glad you're here. Keep on walking. And you mean it. But that's surface. And the openness comes because eight, S happens. Sharing meals. Sitting down with people. Practicing biblical hospitality. Practicing biblical fellowship. S has to happen. And H has to happen. Before now you've got grounds to talk about R. I hope you're looking at your key and know what I'm talking about. Where you're relating spiritually. And then, then the, the whole thing is paved for you to get to E. And that is introducing people to how Jesus makes a difference. And undergirding it all at the center of the word is the letter A. Where we're being fed the word. And we're worshiping the one who really deserves it. Alright, so share a meal. Help a need, uh, assemble to learn, relate spiritually, and evangelize simply. I want to leave you, I hope this is on here, yeah, one of my favorite quotes. I hear a lot, I'm going to, you're going to read ahead. I, I hear a lot, I'm, I'm landing the plane, so if you're dropping out, don't worry, okay. Uh, I hear a lot of people, from, in a lot of places I go, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about how, they live their lives. And a lot of people that I meet, and especially a lot of people at church where we are, they have jobs where they can listen to the radio all day. And that concerns me. I don't want to get way off on a tangent, but let me just say to you, Paul calls the devil the little G God of this world and says that he is the ruler of the prince of the power, he is the prince of the powers of the air, meaning he rules the mood of society. Also meaning, anytime you have your television on, your radio on, any social media, I don't care what it is, the devil has a very subtle thread that he's interwoven. 
And if you're ingesting 12 hours of talk radio or 12 hours of modern music, whatever, I don't care, you're getting a steady communication of that. And I hear people, they listen to this stuff all the time and they get really, 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 really mad about the way the world's going. And then they bring that to church. One of the devil's most subtle temptations is to make us angry at the world and to remove from us the compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and gospel that changes the world. Having said all, all of that, that sets up this quote and it explains why I like it. We should not ask what is wrong with the world. That diagnosis has already been given. Instead, we should ask, what has happened to the salt and to the light? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Father, I pray you will bless this church. Uh, bless this, this church for what they've done today. Bless the congregations that have come out to be a part of today. Uh, bless Matt. Bless his elders. Bless his wife. Bless his children. I pray that you'll bless all the deacons in this church. I pray you bless everybody who's been here today, that we would all be challenged to follow you more closely, to follow your will more closely, to love you more, to obey you more radically. I thank you for all that you do for us. What is man that you are mindful of us? I don't know. But somewhere is within you the heart of love that we can't comprehend. So we just praise you for it, and we thank you for it. And we ask that you help us to mirror it in some way. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.